Good morning. Maybe we should leave the lights low, Sean. It's so much cooler. Oh, my goodness. But you all would probably nod off. It's, it's, amazing. it's amazing to me how fast a year goes. It, it is a, week, a year next week that um, I was honored to preach here for the first time, knowing that that time, that this day seemed like a long time from now. And yet, this is uh, Sherry and I's last Sunday here. Um, we have been blessed. I want you to know that as a church, there's several things that I gauge a good church on. And, and you guys know that in, in, Sherry, in Sherry and Mine's ministry, we do move around some. We've been able to minister in a lot of different churches. But there is not another church that has taken care of my wife the way that you have. And that's precious to me. How a pastor gauges a church is always different than his wife. Usually in a, in a church, the pastor's wife can be the loneliest person in the church. And my wife has been flooded with love. And I appreciate that. From the gentlemen of this church, you have cared for me better than most. And exemplary. Adam told me today this is a celebratory day. And it is. And yet I'm already getting a little choked when I think about um, what's next for us? Everybody asks, what's next for you, Pastor Doug? Well, I'll tell you, there's several things in the iron. I have no idea. Um, that's the truth, is that Sherry and I don't have any idea. That's kind of how we trust God is, is somebody said, if you want to make God laugh, make a plan. Um, we are not planning to do anything but serve the Lord. I have uh, lots of pastor friends that have contacted me that want vacation days. And so somewhere between Upland and Indio, we'll be traveling along. Um, there's a couple of offers in L.A. I don't know if I want to go to L.A. to tell you the truth. I've been there, done that. Um, that's a long ways from home. Uh, however, I do cover your prayers. Um, pray for Sherry's healing. She is um, more mobile every week, but she's stuck in the same old cast. So uh, pray for her and her healing of her meta, fifth metatarsal right foot and that she won't need surgery. I would appreciate that. As far as what's next... We're going to barbecue right after this, and that's where I want to hug your neck and, and love you and just experience you all one more time. So make sure you come to the barbecue. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. As I thought about, what do you want to preach today? I want to preach that passage that was so true and dear to my mom and dad. This was the passage that I was brought up with in our home while while our Christian home that I was raised in wasn't perfect, there's no such thing as a perfect mom and dad, and there's no such thing as children that don't have childhood nightmares, I suppose. There's a difference in every home that you're raised in, and only those that are in that home can know. But I know one thing for sure. My parents love the Lord, and my mom had this, this just passion to memorize Scripture. She wasn't saved till she, till I, till she was uh, in her 40s. And I remember the day that my folks got saved because everything changed. While I was only like five years old, everything changed. It, it brought a whole different element to the home. And it certainly wasn't perfect, but things started to become peaceful and peaceful in the Lord. And, and I recall even as a little kid, my parents not being peaceful to coexist with each other. In fact, it scared me as a youngster that they were so close to what I, I didn't understand. But it certainly wasn't a place where I thought it was good. And instantly, my folks came to the Lord, and, and my mom started to memorize Scripture. 
And that was easy for a child to memorize with her. And this was one passage that was near and dear. I think it's probably the first passage that I learned. But there's more to this in this, in this textual dynamic than just faith and grace. What's in this dynamic is the entire gospel. Sometimes we need to know what we believe. If somebody asks you, what exactly do you believe as a Christian? You can go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and know this passage, and you can defend that hope that's in you to tell somebody about Jesus. Ephesians 2, starting in verse, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were all. This is the first part of the gospel. All right, The apostle Paul, the great apostle in this passage, will give us the entire gospel message in a nutshell. You were all sons of perdition. You all were children of wrath. You all, I know this is hard to believe, but you all were following the prince of the power of the air. I could say we all, because I'm included in this. We all were separated from a relationship with God, and we were all being led by Satan. Oh, that's not nice to say, Pastor. I wasn't following him. If you're not following Christ, you are following him. Even if it's by omission, you may not go specifically to a place to worship, but by not following Christ, there is a natural tendency to follow somebody. And there's only two entities on, in this creation. Number one, Jesus. Number two, Satan. Who are you following? And the Bible is clear here to say, if you're not following Jesus, you are sons and daughters of wrath and disobedience. And it says here that by nature you were like the rest of mankind. Everybody, everybody is falling into that category. Without Jesus, you are a son or daughter of wrath and you are following Satan. Verse 4 says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we were dead. Your death started... Now, you were dying without hope. You were dead in your trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us with him to be seated with us, with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. My sentence was death. My sentence for denying Christ, for not walking with Christ, was death. And you know what? Unfortunately for the world and people who don't follow Christ, it starts now. Everything that they are accumulating, everything that they are accomplishing is only leading them one day closer to death and the end of that. And it comes up with no hope. Rich people are jumping out of buildings because they have no hope. People are doing drugs and self-suicide, slow suicide because of no hope. The only hope in this world is not in a better job. The only hope in this world is not to hit the lotto. The only hope in this world is Jesus Christ. And that is our hope. When we put our hope in other things, we will find that that new Chevy is broken and in the shop before I even get to drive it a year. 
They don't last, do they? That new thing is only led by the next new thing. And everything that we get only accomplishes a brief encounter with satisfaction. And then it's over. That's not hope. Hope is something that transcends my emotional state. Hope is something that is eternal. Hope that I have in Christ Jesus makes me up in the morning, gets me up in the morning, and keeps me moving in the right direction towards honoring God with my life. Our sentence was death. But God's great love for us. He loved us so much that he sent Christ Jesus to be our resurrection. You see, the biggest fear that most people have, if it gets right down to it, is not going broke. It's not becoming sick. It's not suffering a loss. The biggest fear that most people have is dying. And the older you get, the more of a reality that becomes because you realize that the sand, little sand granules in the hourglass are deeper on the bottom than they are on the top. Those folks that are young have so much sand up there in the top of their hourglass, they should jump for joy and be exalting the Lord for the days that they have left. But so rapidly does that glass turn upside down and it's bottom heavy now and the sands of time are running through that faster and faster and faster. And the closer you get, I can't imagine facing that possibility without the hope of Christ Jesus. I can't imagine what that would look like to know that my hourglass is running thin and no hope in Christ Jesus. And yet we see magnificent seniors who truly are at the end of their sand. And they're rejoicing because that only means they're closer to Jesus. What a hope for us to have in our life to realize as our life goes on, we are one day at a time closer and closer to Jesus in our resurrection. God saved us. That's the beginning of the gospel. How did God save us? By Christ on the cross. There is no other way. He had to come and pay that price for us to pay for our sin so that we can have that hope in Christ. The passage that my mom loved to quote is Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Ten kinds goes along with it. But I'm sure that I've known this passage since I was six years old. It's a passage that seems to go through my head every day. Do you have scripture that you know that goes through your head every day? All right, you should. You should know scripture well enough that as you go through your day, you get a song. Sherry sang a little song yesterday, and I had an earworm for like two hours. All right, and, and it actually was a little praise song. It was catchy in a really annoying kind of way after about 30 minutes of it going around in my head. What was the song, Sherry? Sing it to us. Ephesians 2.10. That's right. For we, I forget how it went. No, don't tell me again because it'll be stuck in my head. Stick it in all our heads, Sherry. How's it go? <laughs> that was it. We are his workmanship. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. I can't get the song out of my head four hours later. What a great song. If you're going to have an earworm, that's a good one to have, right? There's things that go through our head that, that should be in our heart. As we memorize scripture, it comes from our heart into our head throughout the day, and we start to resonate with that. We start to have the beautification of that, of how that is such a blessing to have that in my heart and in my head. For by grace, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, 
Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Grace. Grace is one of the attributes of God. We don't think about that too much, but God is graceful. And like his other attributes, we know about his other attributes. He's omniscient. He knows everything. There is nothing that God doesn't know, including what's next for you, including your tomorrows, including your thoughts. Man, I wish he didn't know all those. Not only does he not know them, it doesn't surprise him because he knew it before you were born. He's ordained your life. He's ordained every move that you made and every decision that you make. While it is your decision, your life, it's still ordained by God. It doesn't surprise him. He's omniscient. He knows everything. God is omnipresent. Everywhere you go, there's God. You can't go someplace that God isn't there. You can't. He's even in the deepest, darkest despair. He's even, God is in control of hell. He knows what's going on there. It's no surprise to him. He's where you are. No matter how far you think you go from the Lord, he's right there already. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. Not only on this earth, but in the universe. And God is in control of that. He's, he's omnipotent. God is all-powerful. His breath, his will keeps the universe together. We know all that. We know he's omniscient. We know he's omnipresent. We know he's omnipotent. We know that. But did you know that his grace is just as big a part of that, of him, as the rest of those? God's grace doesn't run out. God's grace doesn't run out on you. It never fails. To say... Many Christians say, well, I just haven't been good this week and God's probably not happy with me and I just won't do, I'll just eat worms and I'll just go off and do my thing. God's not happy with me because I'm a big sinner. God's grace is bigger than that. God's grace is greater than all your sin. There's an old hymn. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. As big a sinner as you are, God loves you in his grace is abounding greater than that. You think you're a sinner on the, on the grade 12 and a bad Christian? Listen, God's grace is a scale 12 million billion. It outseeds you to say that you have outran God's grace is to say that you're bigger than God. And we know that's not true. God's grace is bigger than you. And God's grace is part of who he is. He doesn't have to recharge his power. God isn't like your cell phone, all right? How long will it last? It needs to be recharged. God is the power that recharges everything else. He does not need to be recharged. His grace is not going to run out. God's grace is endless. No matter how bad you've been, no matter how far you've strayed. Grace. Grace is part of a refinement or an elegance, right? If I say that she has grace, what does that mean? She's elegant. And she's refined. There's no message. There's nothing pure or more true in this life than God's grace towards us. It is elegant. It's beautiful. It's perfect. God's grace. To be honored by another presence or status. If I say that, if I say that you graced us with, with your presence, what does that mean? You graced us. You honored us with your presence. Right? God honored us with the presence of Christ Jesus. If I say grace, it could also mean undeserved favor. I've been graced. 
Undeserved favor. A favor of God that I don't deserve, that has no limits. And it's freely applied to eternity. And it's realized by the graced party. Here's what the grace is about. Is that when God graces us, our responsibility to that is to recognize it. And to pull it into our heart and realize that the reason I am how I am today, saved by grace, is because God's grace is realized by me. That's our part. God graces the world all the time. And they don't praise him for it. They don't thank him for it. They don't even mention him for it. People are alive on this planet today because of God's grace. The air they breathe is because of God's grace. It is our responsibility, Christian, to recognize it. Because God's grace fuels faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith is complete and trust, is complete confidence and trust in God's grace. Complete trust. Completely trusting something. It is good in a marriage to have complete trust. Don't you agree? If that trust is broken, the marriage is broken. Right? I can, I can, I can crash my wife's car and I haven't broken her trust. Trust me, in our marriage, I have crashed a couple of her cars. And, and uh, she didn't have a trust problem with me. Oh, she may not have trusted me to drive her cars anymore. But the truth is, is that I didn't break her trust. I have let her down. I have told her I'll be there and do this, and I missed the mark. But I haven't broken her trust. What is the trust that I can break to my wife? Faithfulness. Once you've broken that faithfulness, that trust cannot be repaired. That trust is hard to repair. All right, and we have this trust in God from faith that is truly worthy of our trust because God has never came up short on anything he said. If he said it, he has done it. Now, faith that we have, listen, this passage is clear about faith, right? It's the most clear passage on faith that I recognize where it says this faith that you have isn't even of your own. You can't get it on your own. People say, I wish I just had a little more faith. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I wish I just had a little more faith. You know what? That's you telling God that what he gave you is not enough. That's you telling God that what he gave you isn't enough because the faith he gave you isn't even yours. If you believe this, listen, we have an obligation as believers to believe this. I believe this from cover to cover. This is God's word. This is God's word to me. There isn't any part of this that I find unbelievable. And yet it talks about a guy walking on water. It talks about a virgin giving birth. It talks about Moses spreading the Red Sea. It talks about people coming back from the dead. Lepers being healed. It talks about stuff that's impossible. I would find that unbelievable, wouldn't you? If I said I went to a funeral this week, and, and I did a funeral, but the guy wasn't dead at the end of it, you would go, you're right, Doug. Kind of feel, will you do my funeral next, please? Listen, I've done, as a pastor, I've done hundreds of funerals. Every one of them stayed funeraled. Every one of them stayed dead. People who have passed are gone. It's unbelievable, isn't it? But yet we believe 
to the point of conviction. What is that point of conviction? That I would die for that belief. That's my point of conviction, that Christ was raised from the dead. I believe it. Amen? Amen. That's unbelievable. You don't have the faith to believe that, but yet we believe it to the point of conviction because God has supplied that faith. What a great supply that God has given us. I, I would rather have that than a Porsche. If God was giving out Porsches or faith, which would you choose? Faith. Well, what's wrong with a Porsche? There's nothing wrong with a Porsche, but it breaks. God has supplied me all the faith I need for today, for this moment. The problem is that we worry about what God's doing tomorrow. All right, that's what we worry about. Well, what's God going to do about this? Well, God's going to do what he wants to about all this. And the faith is that he's given you enough faith to deal with today. And that's the life that we live. Sometimes God asks you to open the door and step into that dark room. Right? But Lord, I can't see the floor. Well, it's there. But I can't see it. What if it's a bottomless floor and it's a bottomless pit and I open the door and I fall forever? It's like God says, I want you to open that door and take one step. And so you open that door and you step. I can't see it. You're stepping. Oh, there is a floor there. Okay, I'll step one step in. And God says, see, I gave you faith to believe that. Pretty soon, when those doors open and you can't see the floor, you trust God to where you open the door and run into that dark room. Because you've learned to trust God. If he says go, he's got you. And tomorrow will be what tomorrow is. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough of its own. And you have faith. But, but if I wasn't worrying tomorrow, what would I be anxious about? My anxiety. Listen, I wrestle with anxiety. Scratching. Ugh. Right? Why am I worried about anxiety? Because I'm worried about stuff. That's the natural man inside Doug. The natural man inside Doug is always battling with the ruler of my heart, King Jesus. And Jesus said, breathe, Dougie, relax. I've got you today, I'll have it tomorrow. And yet we realize that that is faith, but we still succumb to our own unworthiness, complete and secure. More faith, I don't need more faith. I need to walk in the faith that I have today. The Lord had given us everything we need. Faith is a gift. It says here, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and, and that's not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. What a great gift for us to have is, is faith in Christ Jesus. That faith is a gift. The number one way it's a gift is I believe God's word. Right? The world, unfortunately, doesn't. We don't carry Bibles anymore. I know it's in our phone, and I appreciate that. And, and the chances are is that this little Bible belonged to my mom. It's precious to me. I have lots of Bibles, and I like having a Bible around. It's nice, but 99% of the time, my Bible's in my phone, right? That's where I go. It has 17 different translations of the Bible, and it's right there. And, and the truth is, is that it's still God's Word even in my phone. But I love a Bible it's okay to have one. Young people, if you don't have one, get one. People, if you don't have a good Bible, you see an elder today, we'll get you a good one. 
it's good to have a Bible because it's God's word. And appreciate it on your phone, wherever it is. The truth is, it's, it is the same story. And that faith is, is that I believe God's word. And that's the difference between us and the rest of creation. A gift is loving Jesus. That's a gift from God. The love we have for his son is a gift. Accepting salvation. The fact that I was led to Christ by someone and accepted that salvation instead of rejecting it is a gift from God. Right? It took faith. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Abundant life. Does that mean more money and more cars and more stuff? No, abundant life means I have hope in my life to bring glory to God. That's abundant life. Do I enjoy nice cars? I love nice cars. You know I'm a car guy. I love good cars. It's great to have one. It'd be great to leave it when Christ comes. Buy. It was a fun hobby. Christians, you should have things that you do that you enjoy. That's okay. But it will not bring the satisfaction of a gift from God that is hope and salvation. Secure eternity. My eternity is secure. That is a gift of God. It's a gift. You can't earn one morsel of faith. What do you do to have more faith? What would you do if I said, you need to triple your faith by tomorrow? What would you do? Walk out onto the 15 freeway and start crossing lanes? <laughs> God says, don't tempt. Don't test. Walking out of the 15, crossing lanes might increase somebody's faith, but it is not going to increase mine. All right, if you think the traffic's going to part like Moses and the 15 freeway won't run you over, I want to prescribe to you a different counsel. Because if you go out on the 15 freeway to test your faith, I can guarantee you you can have faith in this. You're going to get clobbered. How do you improve your faith? You don't. You increase your faith by living day to day in the faith that you have. It's the same as grace. It's endless. God's supply of faith for you is more than you need. It's there. The thing is that we have to learn to breathe in that. You can't conjure up more faith. Grace and faith for God's glory. Not mine. Certainly not mine. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Lest anyone should boast. What should I boast in? I should boast in my Savior. Not in what I've done. For we, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. This is why. We have the how. We have the who. This is the why. Because we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for his good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Every human being is created by the Savior. Is that right? Every human being is created by Christ. Every human being is created by the Creator. Every single one of them. We have the opportunity to be recreated as a new creation, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Completely recreated. When you came to Christ, you are a new creature. You act different than you used to. You are different than you used to. You think about things differently than you used to. Your priorities are different than they used to be. My goal is to be like him. When we're created 
in, in the beginning. I know that when I was little, I wanted to be like my dad. Right? Because my dad was cool. He was a car guy. He spent time with me. He went to all my games. He taught me stuff. I wanted to be like my dad. As I grew up, I realized that I'm not like him. But he has made a mark on me. My spiritual father is the one I want to be like. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like my Savior. And I realize as I've grown up that he's still the one I want to be like. We are a new creature. And we are recreated to do his work. Let me tell you the application of this message, all right? And we'll get on to the barbecue. All right, number one. The application of this is, what is the work Jesus wants me to do? That would make a great plan if I knew what I'm supposed to do. Number one, love one another. We're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to care for one another. How will we know what one another needs if we don't know one another? It's important. Listen to me, church. I'm going to leave this with you on my last Sunday here. Get out there and get a cookie after service every week. That's where you get to know each other. That's where you spend time together. I know it's 108. The cookies are in the fellowship hall today. All right, it won't always be 108 in Apple Valley just this season. Spend some time with each other, getting to know somebody. Walk up to somebody. You're all in this church together. You all love Jesus. You came out when it's 108 to come to church. I promise you, you have the most important thing in common in the planet. You love Jesus. Walk up to somebody you don't know and shake their hand and introduce yourself and see how they are. Because the number one commandment that I see from us is love one another. Because the world sees that as a testimony. We really do love one another. I, I did a, Sherry and I did a funeral a month or so ago of a friend of mine who lost a young, lost his son. His son was, his son was in his 30s. And they aren't believers. My friend doesn't know Christ. But he asked me, Dougie, will you do my son's funeral? I will. Those are hard ones for me. Because there's no hope past what's next. I think I told you about it. We, we did the funeral. And, and afterwards, they had a big reception at a, at a uh, bar and grill in San Bernardino out by the old air base. And while we were there, Sherry and I had... I had the barbecue. The barbecue was killer, man. It was important that we go and partake. And, and we fellowshiped a little bit. But mostly, I was the pastor. And so Sherry and I had a quality little lunch together. I had a Red Bull. She had a Diet Coke. And, and we got ready to go because there was a lot of partying and drinking going on. And we don't partake in that. But the thing I noticed, the thing I noticed while I was at that fellowship is that those people knew each other. There was a hundred people there. And they knew each other. All of them. And they cared for each other. In a weird way. Buying each other drinks. That's a weird way to care for each other. I don't think that's necessarily the right thing to do. But as Sherry and I sat there, we realized, this is their church. This is where they come to. For fellowship. And I thought, while I was there, they're better at this than we are. They spend more time together than we do. 
They know each other better than we do. We're a church of Jesus Christ. We should know each other better than the people that hang out at a bar four nights a week. Don't you think so? I think we should. But it takes an effort. Well, I go to church. Well, that's good. Why do we go to church? The reason is to love one another. And sing his praises and hear the word from a pastor that says, love one another. A lot. Like you mean it. Like you know it's the last time you're going to see them. Love one another. Share his, number two, share his good news, the gospel. We need to always be ready to share the gospel. It's important that we know how to. I have a little app that I like. Maybe you have a tract. Maybe you have a thing. Maybe the Romans Road. I don't care what it is, but we have to know how to share the gospel. How would you tell somebody about Christ if they asked you? That's a blessing always. If somebody will come and ask you to share Christ with them, what a blessing. Hey, tell me about Jesus. It's like, well, uh, let me call my pastor. All right. That's, that's a, I mean, if that's where you're at, call me. Call Don. I promise you, we'll come running. But the truth is that you ought to know how to share the gospel yourself. It's right here in Ephesians 2. Share the gospel and preach the kingdom. That's what Jesus did. He preached the kingdom. The judgment is coming. The kingdom is coming. There's no negative results to us walking in faith and realizing God's grace. There's no negative results. Because this passage tells us that it was already prepared beforehand. The good works... These things, to love each other, to share the gospel and preach the kingdom, the good works that God wants you to do, he's already prepared for you in advance. You don't have to make it go well. All you have to do is just be willing to do the good work. Well, I would share with my uncle, brother, nephew, son, friend, neighbor, but they'll just reject the gospel anyway. They don't even, uh, you know how they are. It's like God's prepared for you. If you know you're supposed to share the gospel with somebody and you don't repent, and start walking in obedience. Because here's the truth. God's already designed the outcome. All you have to do is be obedient. We don't know how many people would get saved if we would just be obedient to share the gospel when, when we, have, we know we have that moment. We don't know how many people would get saved if we would just love one another as the world is watching, as the world sees that. We need to answer his call day by day by day by day. God has already ordained the outcome of the work that he wants us to do. And I promise you that each one of us in this room have something he's called us to do this week that we need to do. And don't come and ask Pastor Doug, what do you think I should do? I think you should wash my car and mow my yard. Right? How do I know what God wants you to do? You spend some time in the word. Pick this up. Open this up on your tablet, your phone, your PC, whatever it is that you spend time in the Word in, open it and spend some time in the Word. Pick up a pencil and a paper. And when you read that verse, write down what it means with a pencil and a paper. It's an amazing tool. Most of us have gotten away from that to a keyboard. All right, there's nothing wrong with a keyboard, but that pencil puts it in your brain when you write it down. God's given grace to us to have language that when you write it, you see it, it transforms into your brain. Pick up the word of God and study it and read it and pray it back to the Lord. 
and you will know what your purpose is this week. I promise you, God always comes through with his word and his, with his word. And he's told you, if you will take my word and spend some time in it, I will reveal to you what your purpose is this week. To love one another, to share the gospel, to preach the kingdom. Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessing of knowing you. Lord, thank you for the blessing of knowing each other. Lord, I ask with all my heart that we would be followers of you and disciples of you and that we would learn to love your ways and love your word more and more and more every day. Lord, bless this church. Bless our friends and our loved ones here, Lord. Thank you for pastor. Thank you for all that's going to happen here, Lord. We know that the next year will go as fast as this year. Bless every 